You're listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served Marble Falls and the greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. For those who find themselves unable to attend on a Sunday morning, we stream those services. Simply visit fbcmf.live during either of our service times to view it. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. Through the sermon series, we have covered psalms of orientation. Those are psalms that speak into your life when your life seems well orientated, when uh, God seems like he's very sovereign over the whole world. Life makes sense because God is on the throne um, and, and your life seems well adjusted that if you will just do what is right, God will bless you and things will work out. Some psalms are psalms of orientation. Other psalms we have covered are psalms of disorientation, and that is when the orientation becomes very skewed, where you begin to wonder, where is the Lord in all of this chaos and in all of this difficulty? And then you come to psalms of new orientation, where God reestablishes in your heart the understanding of where he has been, what he has been doing, and he reestablishes his um, uh, identity in your life, and he helps you to achieve a whole new way of life and a very different kind of worship. Psalm 100 could fit into either a psalm of orientation or a psalm of new orientation, but either way, it's a psalm that talks about the power of worship and what it is like when the people of God come together and they sing songs just like we sang just a moment ago about how wonderful God is and who he is in our life, and the change that it's made in our life. It is a psalm of worship. And I want to look at it just for a minute about what it may have been like historically had it been written as a psalm of orientation, and then for a moment what it may have been like if it were written as a new orientation psalm. Because historically, it it makes a difference. If it were written in the new orientation way, then it would have been written during the reign of King Solomon, when King Solomon had built the first temple and it was grand and it was beautiful and people were coming into worship. And as they came into worship, they were excited about the Lord and the temple and coming into the gates of the temple. And so shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness as you come into Solomon's temple to worship God where God's presence was was felt and was sensed. It is the place where where you experienced sacrifice and a place where you experienced forgiveness of sin. It was the temple and it was an amazing place. And so if this psalm was written during the reign of King Solomon, then it would have described the emotion and the excitement of what it was like to come to that first temple and worship the Lord. But if this is a psalm of new orientation, then what we have to do is squeeze disorientation into it somehow. And what it would be then is it is not a psalm during the reign of King Solomon, but it's a psalm that's written after, way after King Solomon. In the year 586 BC, the Babylonians came in and they destroyed Solomon's temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed everything. They killed so many people and the people who were left, they chained them together and they marched them in exile all the way up the Fertile Crescent and they um, settled them in the land of Babylon. 
And it was a horrible time for them. Remember, uh, Psalm 137 speaks to this place in life when during exile or during captivity. And Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, which is the Tigris and Euphrates River in in modern day Iraq, uh, that's ancient Babylon. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and we wept. We hung our harps on the poplar trees and we walked away because they didn't feel like worshiping. They couldn't sing the songs of worship during those times. They just didn't have it in themselves. They were heartbroken. They they were despondent. They were so sad. They couldn't worship the Lord. And it says, but our captors said to us um, and tormented us saying, sing to us the songs of Zion. Meaning, come on, give us the joyous songs that you sang. Give us some of your songs that uh, you did in worship when you came into the temple. Meaning, if Psalm 100 was a psalm of orientation, and they sang songs like, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, and the men and women would begin dancing, and they were excited about it. Psalm 137, when the tormentors uh, uh, told them, sing to us the songs of Zion, what they were referring to is psalms like Psalm 100, where they would begin rejoicing, saying, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. But they can't do it. Um, it. It says, how can we sing the songs of Zion when we're in a foreign land? They struggled with it. And so they, they, they don't. But in the year 538 BC, King Cyrus the Great of Persia comes in and he destroys the Babylonians and through him, God sets the people free. And God sends them back home in the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah and the book of uh, the the prophet Habakkuk and um, Haggai. They speak about the people coming back from um, exile, back into the promised land, and they begin rebuilding the temple. They begin rebuilding the wall and their homes in Jerusalem, and they begin worshiping again. Now, if Psalm 100 is speaking about that moment, now we see that it's a psalm of new orientation. It's a psalm where worship is being rediscovered. It's when worship is being re-gifted to them. And now as they come to the temple to sing, it's not the first temple of Solomon, but it's the second temple that they rebuilt after the Babylonians had destroyed everything. In the year 515 BC, they rebuilt the temple when all of the exiles came back home. And God rose up great leaders to rebuild it. And now they're coming into worship. So imagine this moment. If it's a psalm of new orientation, you have been trapped in Babylon for about 70 years, and you couldn't worship. It was hard for you. In fact, you have children in Babylon, and they never even knew the temple. They never even saw it. And so all you were able to do is tell them stories. You would say to your children, oh, you should have seen the temple. You should have heard the songs and the trumpets and the tambourines. You should have heard it. And then you would have said, ah, oh, sons and daughters, we, we worship like nothing the Babylonians have you, that you've ever seen here in Babylon. We worshiped better than them. I wish you could have seen it. And they would share with their grandchildren, oh, you should have seen it. And they would tell stories about it. And when their children and grandchildren said, well, sing it for us. Let us see you worship like that. The parents and grandparents just would have lowered their head and said, we, we, we can't. We can tell you about it, but we just can't show it to you. Imagine if that was your, your, your life, and now finally you come back into the land, you've rebuilt the temple, and the gates are shut, and you're about to enter in, some of you for the very first time, and experience this thing that your parents and grandparents had told you about, and now worship is going to be restored to you as a people. 
What would it be like if, if something happened here in our culture and we, had to, we couldn't come in and worship for five years, let's say, that First Baptist Marble Falls nor any of the other churches in the whole community could meet. We couldn't come together and see one another and, and worship. We couldn't experience what we just experienced a moment ago. No Bible studies, anything like that. For five years, and then all of a sudden, somebody else takes over, and, and, and now they say, churches, you can worship again. And then for the first time in five years, you see, we saw one another through the community, and, and we work with one another, and every time you see each other throughout the community, there's this longing of, oh, I wish we could go to church together again. Don't you remember what it was like? Didn't, wasn't it exciting to be with one another? And we would see one another through the community, and for five years, all we could do is talk about it. And now, our exile is over, and we get to come back in here and worship together. On the first Sunday that we came back, how exciting, y'all, would that be? I wonder if y'all would all sit in the same places that you sit in <laughs> all the time. What a moment, and picture the gates or the doors of the church, and they're about to be opened. And, and somebody comes and they stand at the door and they shout out, enter into the gates, into the doors of the church with thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be neat to come in as a group of people into the church at that moment? Maybe that was what it was like. Maybe Psalm 100 is written in that kind of context of new orientation where they're coming back to the temple to experience what worship is like once again. There's emotion here. When we think of it in terms of new orientation and restored worship that had been lost through the disorientation of exile and captivity, if we think of it in that kind of way, I, I think that it's true that oftentimes all of us as humans do not know what we have until we lost it. The Jews had lost worship for a whole generation and now they are finally able to sing it again and God set them free and he restored it to them. And it's likely that, that, that the emotion behind the text flows out of this when they say, shout. Why? Because they, they're going to do this to the most exuberant way they possibly can. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worshiping with very glad hearts. Know this, that the Lord, he is God, meaning we're not the ones who freed ourselves. God freed us. He is God, and it's He who made us, and we're His. We're His people and the sheep of His pasture. And all, all these people are on the outside of the gates waiting to come in and worship the Lord. I, I picture a huge group of kids and, and, and trying to get into Six Flags, and the gate is closed. And man, they're, they're, they're looking over at all of the rides and, and everything, and they can't wait to get through. And finally... Someone comes out and he says, welcome, and all the gates are open, and all the kids just run in, excited to be with one another. I picture, I picture that kind of excitement for these people. The people of Israel are about to enter the gates, maybe for the first time in decades. And so they enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. I don't know. If you ask me, that's the best I can describe it. But don't you wish we could have experienced it? A new orientation moment. It's, it's like the joy that strikes you when you realize that God has brought you through something and now that thing is over with. 
and, and, and it's behind you, something difficult that you went through and you come in to worship God and maybe you're singing the exact same songs that you sang the week before, but now something has changed because in the week that you just went through, you, you got through it something that you'd been dealing with for months and months and months, and it ended. Maybe even for some of you right now, you've been dealing with something for months and months, and it ended last week. And in that case, you come in to sing a song, and, and maybe we sang the exact same songs we sang today. Maybe you, you've sung them in the past, but maybe this morning it was different for you because you experienced moments of disorientation, and now there's something new about worship for you. I think that there's some validity in that, that the difficulty is over, and the Lord sustained you, and you made it through, and now you look at worship and experience worship kind of differently. Um, I had a moment like that last year on May the 14th, Sunday morning. It was the first Sunday after I graduated, and, and, I, and I was in here worshiping, singing kind of the same songs, and, and, but they struck me differently. I sang them differently. Um, I've been working on that doctorate for about six and a half years, and I walked across the stage and finished the week of the Thursday before, the Friday before, and then I came in and I was worshiping, and when I was here, I realized, man, it wasn't just that, but it was my master's degree too. All of that's behind me. And then I realized, man, it's not just my master's degree that's behind me, but it was all of my undergraduate stuff, my theology and psychology from Hardin-Simmons University. All of that's behind me too as I worship. And I thought, God, you sustained me through all of that. And then I realized that it wasn't only all of that, but it was First Baptist Marble Falls and how we relocated a church together. And, and we didn't separate, but we came together. It was a great move for us, and it was exciting, but it was hard, and God sustained us, and now we're on the other side of all of that in worship. And then I realized, man, it's not even that, but it's that we recreated all of our missions, um, philosophy, and how we do missions in the past few years as well. So now we're a church that sends out missionaries, and that's hard to do very hard, and, and I think, Lord, you saw us through all of that. And then I realized, man, it's even more than that, that a number of years ago, we, we didn't have very many staff. We needed to add a minister of music and ministers of children and education and, and, and youth and all of that, and the Lord helped us to rebuild a whole staff. And I was sitting here worshiping last year, May 14th, and I realized all the things that the Lord brought us through and my worship was different. There was something about realizing and thinking through all that we had gone through, and I think that in some small way, every single Sunday is, is, is the end of a week for us, where, where we come in here, and if you will think about all that happened in this past week, was there something difficult that's now behind you? Something difficult that, that you labored toward, that you labored and worked for, and now you did it. It's done. And God helped you through it. And now you're here, and because of that, because that thing is behind you, you can sing praises to God for it. He, he brought you through. There's kind of a new orientation singing about you. If any of you made it through something this past week, and it's behind you, you labored for it, you achieved it, and it's done, doesn't it make you just want to call Dory and the band back out and say, wait, I'm not finished singing yet. That was a hard week, man. And, and we did it. And, and Lord, you're good. And I want to keep telling you how good you are because of all of it. 
It's the joy of worship. And, and you know, here's how joyful it is. It's so joyful that, that even when the church can't shout it loud, there is a joy that can even come across in a whisper. Uh, Norman Flowers uh, shared with me a, an amazing story this past week when we were in Honduras. He said that he went to China and he was doing ministry there and he was able to worship in an underground secret church that was against the law. He goes to this place and at the bottom of the floor, there were some men just kind of hanging around and the people that were bringing him in um, uh, kind of nodded at these men standing there and, and he realized that they were guards. Uh, they were kind of sentinels. And so he goes way up to like a 12th floor of a big building and he goes into a room kind of about as big as our koinonia room. And when he got in there, there were about 100 people worshiping. But as he got nearer and nearer to the room they were worshiping, he could hear them whispering. But he could hear that they were singing in a whisper. And, and he noticed the tune. Um, the tune was Amazing Grace, but they were singing Amazing Grace in Mandarin. China, it was a different language, and, and they were singing it, and so he could hear the tune, Amazing Grace, but they were whispering it, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And, and they were only whispering it because they didn't want anybody to hear them. But when he went in and he heard them whispering, he said, they whispered with joy and they whispered loudly. Have you ever heard a loud whisper, where somebody says something quietly, but man, it hits like a freight train. It, it comes hard. And, and, and I think that there's this idea of worship that, that when we come in, that, that nothing will keep away the joy and the exuberance. Even if we had to whisper it, I think we would still whisper it in joy. And that there, we, we would still whisper in passion. If if you ever come into worship, this is the way that you get over the, the idea that worship is commonplace. Where all of you have been here a hundred times, two hundred times, a thousand times, and, and it just begins to be kind of commonplace. The way that I think you can get through it is if you put worship in the context as either the last worship of orientation, and you're about to go through disorientation, and it's the last time we're going to get to be together, and you worship out of that kind of spirit, or you worship as if it's the first worship and new orientation, and it had been denied to you all of those years, and now you come back. Y'all, and in a sense, I, I, I think that, that, that that's true. Y'all do realize, don't you, that if Jesus Christ comes back, this is our last moment at it, that, that, that we're not going to worship here again. The Lord is going to come back, maybe, and, 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 and if he did this next week, this is our last time. Don't you want to be heard for the last time that we worship together, doing it vibrantly and excited? And I, and I think that with that, it overcomes any idea that worship is just duty or commonplace for us. It gives us an excitement when we come. Well, what we see also in the text is it says, worship um, it says, shout to the Lord, all the earth. What a grand thought that is. What a big and huge thought that is. All the earth, it's the picture of the whole assembly coming together. This is not the picture of a little family saying, let's just stay home this Sunday morning. 
We're kind of tired. We've been busy all weekend long. Let's have a Bible study over breakfast and have our own time of family worship. That is not it. There may be a time for that, but Psalm 100 is not that at all. This is bigger. Psalm 100 is bigger than your family, and Psalm 100 is bigger than you as an individual. Psalm 100 is a picture of the assembly and the gathering of all the saints. It's a picture of everyone coming together with their voices loud as one. The, well, what is the largest gathering of Christians that you have ever been a part of? Um, for me, um, the largest that I'd ever experienced was about the year 2001 or so, uh, and, and it was called the One Day Event. Uh, I took a group of college students to Tennessee to a big farm called, uh, I, I believe, the Shelby Farm. It was put together by Louis Giglio and, and uh, all of the Passion guys. And it was right when Chris Tomlin and um, uh, Ross King and uh, the David Crowder Band and Beth Moore and all these people were just kind of beginning. All these college Bible studies, um, Texas A&M's Breakaway and uh, college Bible studies up in Texas Tech and all over the nation kind of began merging and coming together. And they created this big passion event called One Day, and 50,000 college students from all over the world came. We built tents everywhere. It was like a Christian Woodstock. It started raining on all of us at one point, and y'all, the Spirit of God really began moving. People were surrendering to the ministry, and and people were giving their lives. 50,000 college students. It was amazing, man. It is out of that movement that we see some of the, the... great preachers right now. Um, It it inspired and it helped ministers to take a step forward in ministry. Uh, Ministers like at the village, Matt Chandler, who Megan and I were in college with him at Hardin-Simmons University. We saw him. People were there and and, and it created a movement. It really was significant for the kingdom of God. It was important for the kingdom of God. God created it. And, and we got to be there and see it with 50,000 other people. And, and I'm telling you, it, 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 was, it was powerful because you, you realize that you are a part of something that is global and grand. When we come in here to worship, here's what's unique about Sunday mornings. It, it's together. We, we worship in community, and it's not just us, but we realize that all over our world that there is Christian churches coming together and that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Worship creates that when we do it well. The worship is also, as Romans 12 says, that it is uniquely you as an individual living out and sacrifice your lifestyle to God on a weekly and daily and hourly basis. Yes, it is that. But there is something exciting when all of those people who worship as individuals come together to worship as a group. And, And this morning... We are joining churches all over the world, all over this community. I'm excited that right now the Methodist Church is meeting and the Episcopal Church is meeting. Right now we join them and we pray with them. I'm excited that right now Lake Shores is meeting and Hill Country Fellowship and the church at Horseshoe Bay. All of these churches, y'all, we're a part of all of this. And all over our world right now even. The, 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 the churches in Africa and Asia, right now somewhere way up in the mountains of Honduras, There is the church that I spoke in and and, and our team ministered to, um, uh, and they're worshiping right now at 8,000 feet elevation, and and they're playing on their guitars with two strings, man. 
And right now there's an African church and they're beating their drums and they're dancing and we're a part of all of that as well. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Everybody, come on. Every tribe, every uh, tongue, everybody, come on. We're, it is a movement that is global and exciting. And that's something that God is talking about in Psalm 100. And all of it's a part of it. We worship big and we worship small. And so worship is this special and very authentic kind of moment. And y'all notice it's tied to thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is a thanksgiving psalm as if somehow worship and thanksgiving are intertwined with one another and they're made into one. I believe and I've seen that there are a few things that can empower worship the way that being thankful to God will empower worship. Last week I was in Honduras with Brian Williams and with David R. Moore, my buddy, and with Norman Flowers and when we were there, we, we teamed up with uh, uh, our two missionary families, the Slikers and the Pettis family. Y'all, I want y'all to know, all of you who are supporting them, they are doing great. They're kicking tail. It is exciting what they're doing. And uh, here are a few things. Um, they have ministries that they're working in all throughout the community. Um, uh, Billy Perez works in a prison system that is a third world prison full of hardened, hardened criminals and it's a difficult place. He went with Brian Williams this past week. They did ministry there on Wednesday and 10, 10 inmates accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They were worshiping in an excited kind of way, singing, singing into the Lord. And uh, I mean, these are people who come out of the drug cartel, people who've murdered people and they're turning their lives around. Um, the, we, we did ministry with pastors in a, past, in a training event. And um, uh, the, the Slikers and the Pettis families are involved in churches. They're involved in um, a school. They're involved uh, in, in a medical clinic. Um, they're involved in all of these things. Richard Slyker goes up three times a week to a tiny little village way, way up in the mountains called San Isidro. And so we go up there to worship with them on Wednesday night. And, um, and, and we get up there and it's, we, we, they don't have many people in the community. And, and, all, and then the people began coming for worship. We worshiped for about three hours. And I'll share with you, here's how one guy got to worship. That's what he came on. Look at that saddle, man. You don't buy that saddle from, you know, Lissy and Eckel. Uh, uh, you know, a, a good country and western store. Dude, look at that. The stirrups are boards that he put together tied up with ropes. That's, that's a homemade saddle, man, and that's what he rode on. Check that out. People are walking. People are coming on, on horses, caballos, and they're showing up. And I watched them come, and I watched them worship, and I watched them sing. And, and what I'm talking about, Psalm 100 is talking about thankfulness. And I start to realize that there is this old book called Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. And when you read it, there are several statistics. And one of the statistics is that 80% of the world does not own a car. And I realize that my family has two really nice cars. Some of you have been with and seen and even lived with other people and seen how they live. 
And, and, and I was reminded of that this past week, that I am a part of probably 15% of the richest, wealthiest people in the history of our world that live anywhere. I am so doggone rich. I have more money than I know what to do with. It seems, doesn't it, that thankfulness would come easy in our culture? Doesn't it seem that way to you? When, when Psalm 100 says that thankfulness is tied to worship, that somehow you realize all that God has done for you and it breaks you into worship, y'all, doesn't it make sense then that we ought to be the most crazy worshiping people ever? Psalm 100 ought to speak really powerfully to our lives because we have so much to be thankful for and yet we live in a culture that I think in the, all the countries in the world we have more depression, that we're, we're more medicated, that we have more issues, more suicide than any, almost any other country per capita. I, I, I'm convinced that, that, that what's happening is there is such a focus on ourselves such a focus on what we, we, we don't have, such a focus on those things that, that we, we focus on. We, it, it, it happens to us too that we come into worship and it hinders our ability to worship a little bit. We're so focused on all of this other stuff and what I'm going to do tomorrow and, and, and how do I get this and that and, and, and we can't really worship the Lord with the kind of zeal that Psalm 100 talks about. We don't know what it means to be thankful and truly, truly great, uh, live in gratitude to the Lord. I, I was with a wonderful family, a dear family in my, um, when I was a youth minister, and one day the dad told me a story about a girl that was in our youth group, and uh, they lived in a beautiful two-story home, and, and uh, she went to spend the night with a friend of hers who, who lived in one of the most beautiful houses in the whole town. And so she spent the night with her and she came back home and, and kind of like parents do, they asked the girl, well, how was it? Did you enjoy spending the night with your friend? And the little girl said, you know, they have an amazing house and I wish that we had a house like theirs. And the dad said, and Ross, at that moment, I wasn't a good dad, I confess it. He said to her, why you ungrateful little brat, you don't know how blessed you are to have what we do have. And then he, he, he said, I apologize. And I said, sweetie, I love you and, 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 and you're okay. He said, I just, and, and he said to me, I, I wanted her to know that that kind of ungrateful heart is going to kill her. If that's what she has in her life, she's never going to be able to worship being ungrateful and being incapable of being thankful for where you are, if you're not satisfied, then it's going to kill worship. You're not going to be able to do it. And, and that's why worship happens in the present, not in the past and not in the future. Worship is a present reality. And we have to get that. Psalm 100 teaches this. And you say, well, kids say the silliest and, 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 and dumbest things sometimes. And, but y'all, it is hard for any of us to be thankful when our eyes are closed to the many, many blessings that God has given to us in our life. Robert Louis Stevenson said, the person who has stopped being thankful has fallen asleep in life. 
And I think that's the key that Psalm 100 gives us to worship and, and, and that what we're to do is to see all that God has accomplished and to focus on that rather than focusing on what we don't have or what is always wrong and what always we have to fix, but we focus on what God has accomplished in our world. And when we do, we, we break into a special kind of worship. But when we focus rather on all that we don't have, it is a worship killer in our life. Worship comes from a heart that is connected to the present and being satisfied in that. I, I remember one of the last meals that Megan and I and Hanantis had with David and Karen Cottrell before Karen died, um, j- just a few weeks, honestly, before she died. We had over at their house, and they had a tradition that they had a little jar, and they had marbles, and they called it their Thanksgiving jar, and they would put these marbles into the jar when people would come over to their house or at the end of their day. And for those of you who don't know, Karen and David Cottrell were wonderful members of our church, and they helped lead, and they were important to us, but David's wife, Karen, passed away of cancer. And, um, and, and, and he's married to a wonderful woman now, and, and they live both in Bernie and in um, Louisiana, but, but Karen Cottrell, went, before she died, and man, she went through a hard, hard fight with cancer. And, and just weeks before she passed, we, we had the privilege of being at their home, and I remember when we were there, when they had so many issues that they could have talked about. You know, Karen was beautiful, but she didn't have hair, and her ankles and feet were swollen from all the chemotherapy and all the difficulty. And y'all, y'all may be aware of this, but, but when you get those diagnoses, there are two hard moments in a diagnosis that just rocks your world. The first is when the doctor says to you, you have this disease, and now your life has changed. And, and now you're going to have to go through difficult, difficulty. But you get used to that, and you start to find life and some joy again. But the second difficult conversation is when you go back to the doctor, and the doctor says, we've done everything we can do. There are no more medicines. There are no more experimental drugs that we can give. We've done everything you can do, and you just go home. That's the second hard conversation, man. And David and Karen had gotten that second conversation, and we were with them. And, uh, and, and, and even at that moment, Um, David said, we're going to do what we've always done. And he said, here are marbles, and we're going to be thankful to God for things. And he asked our family, what are you thankful for? And we got the marbles, and we began talking about it and putting them into his jar. And then he said, I'm thankful for my wife. And Karen said, and I'm thankful for all of you and thankful to God. And she put marbles in the Thanksgiving jar too. I think that if we're going to worship, what Psalm 100 teaches is that you have to put marbles in the jar. You have to be thankful for that, and then worship comes. So worship big. Worship as if it's either your first or your last, and worship putting marbles of thanksgiving in the jar. What do you say? What do you say, folks? Well... That's what I think about Psalm 100. And that's the end of finally comes the poet. Finally comes the poet to show us how to worship. You've been listening to the audio sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas. Never miss an archive sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about our church or watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.